Our streets will echo again with the laughter of our children because no one will try to shoot them or sell them drugs anymore. Everyone who can work will work. With today's permanent underclass, part of tomorrow's growing middle class. Have you ever felt a visceral attraction to a politician? There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. I am your voice. Ask yourself if they're really telling the truth. This is a secret innuendo being leaked out there about me. I was honestly concerned that he might lie about the nature of our meeting. This is Subliminally Correct, a podcast where we examine all the ways politicians and newsmakers are using psychological tactics to influence you every single day. And now, join myself, Taylor Sherman, certified hypnosis instructor and executive coach, along with my co-host, Alex Dobranek, political consultant and certified consulting hypnotist, on this episode of Subliminally Correct. And welcome to another episode of Subliminally Correct. What's up for today, Alex? Well, today we're going to be continuing our historical speeches as we're back for the second part of Bill Clinton's 1997 inaugural address. Now, in this segment, you're going to hear him using well-rehearsed rhetorical devices and giving grand visions of what's to come, while also laying out ideas of what his policy is likely to be. Now remember, this is Bill Clinton coming right out of impeachment and the contentious 1996 election. So it's nice to listen to this in retrospect, knowing what happened, because we're able to see much more clearly the persuasive devices in action. If you haven't already, you might begin to use these in your everyday life to create similar effects as to what Bill Clinton does here. Now in this first clip, we're going to be hearing him use a classic, easy-to-learn structure for making ideas sound more compelling, as well as a device that even Donald Trump uses in his recent State of the Union. Now let's take a listen. My fellow Americans, as we look back at this remarkable century, we may ask, can we hope not just to follow, but even to surpass the achievements of the 20th century in America? and to avoid the awful bloodshed that stained its legacy. To that question, every American here and every American in our land today must answer a resounding yes. This is the heart of our task. With a new vision of government, a new sense of responsibility, a new spirit of community. We will sustain America's journey. The promise we sought in a new land, we will find again in a land of new promise. In this new land, Education will be every citizen's most prized possession. Our schools will have the highest standards in the world, igniting the spark of possibility in the eyes of every girl and every boy. And the doors of higher education will be open to all. The knowledge and power of the information age 
will be within reach not just of the few, but of every classroom, every library, every child. Parents and children will have time not only to work, but to read and play together. And the plans they make at their kitchen table will be those of a better home, a better job, the certain chance to go to college. Our streets will echo again with the laughter of our children because no one will try to shoot them or sell them drugs anymore. Everyone who can work will work with today's permanent underclass part of tomorrow's growing middle class. New miracles of medicine at last will reach not only those who can claim care now, but the children and hardworking families too long denied. We will stand mighty for peace and freedom and maintain a strong defense against terror and destruction. Our children will sleep free from the threat of nuclear, chemical, or biological weapons. Ports and airports, farms and factories will thrive with trade and innovation and ideas. And the world's greatest democracy will lead a whole world of democracies. All right. Now, before we get into breaking down this first clip, since we know that you enjoy this type of deep dive into political persuasion that we're doing, and you're learning to use these types of persuasive patterns in your own life, Alex and I would like you to consider supporting our mission here. It's a brand new month, and that means that it's another chance to support the show. Each month we have server costs, as well as the time spent developing the show, and to protect our independence, we never run ads. Your support today keeps us on the air tomorrow and keeps this great content coming to you. So please take just one minute to keep the show on the air, ad-free and growing. You can find the link down in the show notes, as well as going to our website at subliminallycorrect.com, going up there into the upper right-hand corner and clicking the Support Us tab, choosing the subscription level that you'd like, and you can do it for as little as a cup of coffee, and we really appreciate your support. Let's go on and break down this first clip. So here I see, you know, Bill Clinton laying out his grand vision for the middle class becoming stronger. And it's really brought about through education. And this is another area of bipartisan agreement. It's an easy way for him to, you know, bring out a policy that everyone can agree to. We've got the children whose laughter will echo in the streets and we can sleep free from nuclear chemical or biological weapons and no one's going to try to shoot the kids or try to sell them drugs it you know it's almost like could you imagine if donald trump said that today uh it's really hard to imagine that sort of language being used right now but it's important to think back then these were real fears for a lot of middle class and upper middle class people to sort of think about. And it's also a fear for a lot of people in what he describes as the underclass. So a lot of uh, people of color in their communities um, live with fear of someone shooting their kids or selling them drugs. 
and uh, it's not entirely made up by um, by other classes. It's really something that a lot of the people that he's talking about really live with. But that sort of knowledge now with the passage of time seems almost unthinkable for a politician to be able to say that because we can just look back to uh, Hillary Clinton in 2016 being uh constantly attacked over the super predator comments and and her comments about the war on drugs and the and the crime uh, from the 80s and 90s and so that's sort of where we're at in the political landscape in this period where that right there a politician saying that is enormously bipartisanly popular Um, and that's really interesting there yeah, this is where Clinton is describing surpassing the achievements of the previous century, but then he's also talking about how things are new. It's it's sustaining America's journey. And so he has these two themes going on about how we want to continue the success, but we also want to create things that are new. And he has some, you know, interesting little rhetorical devices, some language patterns here that he's doing. And as we get further into the speech, you're going to hear just all sorts of them. And the one that you hear that really stands out is the promise we sought in a new land, we will find again in a land of new promise. So literally what he does is just take those three words and then he reverses the order. So it's A, B, C. C-B-A, the promise of a new land, the land of a new promise. And so he's referencing back to how the previous generations had new as well, and it worked in retrospect, of course, but now he's doing that new also. And so this is one of the things that you can start to play around with if you want to sound more regal or more compelling, kind of like what Clinton is doing here is you take the words, you stack them in that type of structure. It could be A, B, B, A, or like he does here, A, B, C, C, B, A, and actually just taking the same words, structuring them a little bit differently in the sentence, and then simply reading them back. It sounds compelling because the person already heard it, and so in a way it's it's a repetition, but it's also giving a slightly different slant on the same types of ideas that were already there. And then he also talks here with some enumeration, so ports and airports, farms and factories, that alliteration there of the, the ports, the farms and the factories. It, it has a certain way of sounding um, with that repetition where he is able to get that idea into a person's mind. And you can almost notice how a person here can see the ports or see the air ports or see the farms or see the factories. Which ones? Where are they? Well, it's just an idea inside someone's mind. And then he's talking here about how he views America as this much-needed enforcement, right? This kind of world leader to make sure that every other country is turning into a democracy as well. So the world's greatest democracy, which is, you know, kind of a little bit of um, fluffery there, you know, the world's greatest democracy, here we have this, will lead a whole world of democracies. So think about what he's saying here. He's saying not only do we want to be the best democracy, but we're going to be the leader 
and we want for every other country in the world to also be a democracy. In what way is that going to be enforced? In what way is he going to make sure that that happens? Well, this is just a continuation of American foreign policy, um, kind of a little bit of an interventionist uh, idea there of we're going to go out and we're going to make sure that the democracies are able to you know, stay as they are. So we hear some of his vision and some of the ideas that surround Clinton's policy in the background here, even as he's making it sound you know, very compelling. Now, in this next clip here, we're going to be listening to him talking about the ideas of balance and fortifying a prosperous economy and moving into full potential. And actually, there's a little phrase here where it reminds us of what another more contemporary politician has said. And we're going to listen also to a clip of that. So let's take a listen to how Clinton continues here. Our land of new promise will be a nation that meets its obligations, a nation that balances its budget, but never loses the balance of its values. A nation where... A nation where our grandparents have secure retirement and health care, and their grandchildren know we have made the reforms necessary to sustain those benefits for their time. A nation that fortifies the world's most productive economy, even as it protects the great natural bounty of our water, air, and majestic land. And in this land of new promise, we will have reformed our politics so that the voice of the people will always speak louder than the din of narrow interests, regaining the participation and deserving the trust of all Americans. Fellow citizens, let us build that America, a nation ever moving forward toward realizing the full potential of all its citizens. Prosperity and power, yes, they are important, and we must maintain them. But let us never forget the greatest progress we have made and the greatest progress we have yet to make is in the human heart. In the end, all the world's wealth and a thousand armies are no match for the strength and decency of the human spirit. Thirty-four years ago, the man whose life we celebrate today spoke to us down there at the other end of this mall in words that move the conscience of a nation. Like a prophet of old, he told of his dream that one day America would rise up and treat all its citizens as equals. Before the law, and in the heart. 
Martin Luther King's dream was the American dream. His quest is our quest, the ceaseless striving to live out our true creed. Our history has been built on such dreams and labors, and by our dreams and labors, we will redeem the promise of America in the 21st century. All right, so here Clinton is really chunking up and he's getting into this idea of, well, he really wants to move you emotionally, okay? And so we hear him, you know, having this unexpected applause moment there where he says, the country balances its budget, but never loses the balance of its values. And so, you know, we have balance there as a multifaceted concept, a, a word that can have multiple uh, meanings, you know, attached to it, and um, a, a nation that fortifies the world's most productive economy. So this is, of course, a presupposition that it is the most productive. And then we have it fortifies it. You know, how does it do it? And how does a nation do that? So we have this nominalized idea of a nation that is doing it. But you know what? What my favorite part in this whole clip was, was when he starts talking about the human heart and the decency of the human spirit. And, you know, these are, you know, what is he talking about here? He's not talking about the physical organ. He's talking about some intangible quality of the heart. And when I was listening to this, it really reminded me of, Another, you know, clip and something that we had talked about, and it was in episode number 21 where we had talked about the victory speeches. And this was the victory speech that Ted Cruz had done um, where he was talking about the kids looking up at the mom and dad and seeing the hope in their eyes. And so let's go ahead and listen to a part within this clip where, and this is just about a 20 seconds thing here, where Ted Cruz kind of does something similar. And I want to see if you can notice how what Clinton just said is kind of similar in a way to what Ted Cruz is saying here. Let's take a listen to this. Stop and reflect for a moment the lives transformed. People who had been dependent on government for basic food needs now have jobs and get to come home carrying a bag of groceries get to come home and look at their kids and say, I'm providing for my family and their kids get to look up at mom, look up at dad and see the hope. Yeah, I love that clip from Ted Cruz right there where he creates that vision of the kids looking up with that hope. Just like Bill Clinton right here talking about that family that's getting off of welfare and having that opportunity to work if they choose to and their kids not getting shot in the streets. All of this sort of ties together to that hopeful vision right there of what a family might look like in this new America of the future. And so then what I also like here is the way that he's able to draw connections between tangible things and real-world situations with intangible things and sort of values and spirits. So what we see here is you know, his, his bit about, you know, all the world's wealth and thousand armies are no match for the strength and decency of the human spirit. And that right there, wealth and armies, these things are tangible. And you compare that to the human spirit, 
which allows you to sort of fill in what is the human spirit. Okay, it's decent and it's strong, but you're able to fill that in with what makes it decent and what makes it strong. And it's so strong in his mind that it's more powerful than just having wealth and armies and that perhaps these are the things that we should be investing in. And then he goes on with Martin Luther King. 34 years ago, he spoke to us down there on the other side of the reflecting pool. And that right there is tangible. We all know Martin Luther King and he's pointing. He's showing us that he's on the other side of that mall right there. Everybody can just turn around and look and the camera pans out to show the other side of the National Mall. But he talks about Martin Luther King's dreams and ideas right there. Like a prophet of old, he told of his dream. Again, intangible, metaphorical values right there. And how old is old? 34 years ago, not that old. But he says, like a prophet of old, sort of comparing that tangible Martin Luther King and that speech and that thing that we all know to this metaphorical sort of imaginary prophet of old. And then this idea of MLK's dream and how it is America's dream. And so right there, it's sort of a complex equivalence. Now, was it the only American dream? Certainly not. Back then, there were probably plenty of American dreams. Has the American dream evolved over the years and changed? Yes, of course. But this is sort of inductive reasoning. He's inviting the listener to take the positive example here and generate other similar examples. And you can sort of, again, step into the place and project whatever you want onto that and sort of create the vision of the American dream and America's future and all of these things, whatever you want. And so... You know, it's really interesting how he is building up this idea of the American dream and the promise of America, all the ways that the middle class can rise up and take these things. And, uh, you know, it's really it's really uh, just fascinating the way Bill Clinton works it in here where, you know, you might just want to tune out and listen to the storytelling. But if you sit down and pay a little bit closer attention to what he's doing here. You can see how it invites the listener into this metaphorical, imaginary world where it's full of new possibilities, all of which are positive and lead to a better America, however you see it. Yeah, and you can really notice that because as you listen to the way that Clinton is saying the speech, that's different from the concepts that he is describing. So he's saying the speech in this very speech-like kind of way. He's not really accessing it himself emotionally, but he's using big words to describe in this very all-encompassing way to invite the listener to step in there. And um, that that's one of the ways that you know that this is you know a speech-writing technique and rhetoric versus something that he's actually kind of authentically, you know, uh, stepping into there. Now, in this next clip, we're going to be listening to Clinton talking about some unification, talking about how advancing politics doesn't resolve just on petty bickering or partisanship, but about building a bridge. 
And then he's going to use this bridge as a metaphor that is, you know, we're all going to step into here. And we know how metaphorical bridges can be um, because, you know, Better at Work and Trump uh, have used bridges actually in their recent rhetoric. So let's take a listen to this next clip. Our land of new promise will be a nation that meets its obligations, a nation that balances its budget but never loses the balance of its values. A nation where... A nation where our grandparents have secure retirement and health care, and their grandchildren know we have made the reforms necessary to sustain those benefits for their time. A nation that fortifies the world's most productive economy, even as it protects the great natural bounty of our water, air, and majestic land. And in this land of new promise, we will have reformed our politics so that the voice of the people will always speak louder than the din of narrow interests regaining the participation and deserving the trust of all Americans. Fellow citizens, let us build that America, a nation ever moving forward toward realizing the full potential of all its citizens. Prosperity and power Yes, they are important, and we must maintain them. But let us never forget the greatest progress we have made and the greatest progress we have yet to make is in the human heart. In the end, all the world's wealth and a thousand armies are no match for the strength and decency of the human spirit. Thirty-four years ago, the man whose life we celebrate today spoke to us down there at the other end of this mall in words that move the conscience of a nation. Like a prophet of old, he told of his dream that one day America would rise up and treat all its citizens as equals before the law and in the heart. Martin Luther King's dream was the American dream. His quest is our quest, the ceaseless striving to live out our true creed. Our history has been built on such dreams and labors. And by our dreams and labors, we will redeem the promise of America in the 21st century. And so we hear Bill Clinton here talking about the American people return to office, a president of one party and a Congress of another. And what he's setting up here is this idea of a unified people and a unified government. 
the idea here is that you know he needs to reframe the election. There was uh, a contentious impeachment trial. Uh, there was the uh, election of 1996 that happened after that, and now we're here with a Republican Congress and a Democratic president, and he needs to somehow make that look as though he still has a mandate to govern. And so he does that by saying, surely them, the American people, surely they did not do this to advance the politics of petty bickering and extreme partisanship that they plainly deplore. No, they call on us instead to be the repairers of the breach and to move on with America's mission. He's reframing the meaning of the election's outcome. Instead of a mixed outcome of the election, meaning that he's a weakened president without a mandate to really govern, instead, this election means that he is a repairer of the breach and that he must continue to govern and that the American people demand of the Republican Congress that they work together with him instead of blocking and investigating. And so that's really a, a moment there where he's able to turn the, the framing of the politics around right there. And then he has this phrase that I really love. America demands and deserves big things from us. And nothing big ever came from being small. And it's interesting because what he's doing here is he's using this play of words to make his point about policies and their mandate to govern just seem like basic knowledge. He's trying to say that being petty and getting retribution, which, you know, it's Newt Gingrich, remember, leading Congress. He's trying to say that that pettiness and that retribution isn't going to accomplish anything. Uh, thereby framing any future and past actions from the Republicans that could be seen as that, as them being small and them being wrong. And he uses that phrasing of big and small there to make it sound almost elementary. So simple, like, of course nothing's going to get done. Yeah, Clinton really here is, you know, he's, interlacing so many ideas and so many concepts into simple into simple things so he uses simple words um he has some allusions here so repairers of the breach you know is a biblical reference that is you know where the prophet isaiah was directing people back to the bible directing people back to um you know knowing the good word you know basically and so when he's using that type of phrasing you know there's a lot of religious allusion here within you know Clinton's speech and as he is using these metaphors you know he's talking about that bridge you know the bridge wide and strong enough for every american to cross over is this an actual bridge you know crossing over to a new land of promise that blessed land and what kind of bridge is that? Well, bridge can be used metaphorically. It can be a literal bridge or it can be a metaphorical bridge connecting ideas together. But he also talks here about this bright flame of freedom. And he also had talked earlier here within the speech about how, um, you know, another brightness, you know, reference. And this is, you know, something that actually Donald Trump did in his recent State of the Union, where he said America's future is blazing bright. And this is what an NLP is known as a submodality change. So it instructs a person to imagine their future as brighter than it otherwise 
you know, might be. So as we hear Clinton here talking about the bridge and about the bright flame of freedom, he's really inviting people to step into the generations whose faces we cannot yet see, whose names we may never know, and you know the, the new century with the American dream. So once we've crossed this bridge into the future, we're now able to imagine faces, and we're now able to see this future because... We all work together to pass Clinton's bipartisan agenda. And then at the end here, he's having this very hopeful tone, bringing the listener to a summit, which is a mental place where you might not have complete clarity of vision. You're not getting stuck in details, but in the big picture ideals. So notice how he is framing his whole idea here as how he is going to continue to call out certain policies or certain congressional actions or certain agendas to now match how well, you know, you all want this grand vision of America. This is what has worked in the past. This was the 18th century, the 19th century, the American century, and now the new century. And if we're going to continue this legacy of greatness that we have done, and again, notice how here at the end, he has that slow measured tone, that slow cadence. If we're going to continue that legacy, well, what you basically need to do is do what I'm saying, enact my agenda, and then eventually this is all going to work out. All right. I think that's all the time we've got for today. Head on over to our website, sublimallycorrect.com. In the top right corner, you can find a link to our Patreon page where you can donate as little as $5 a month just to keep us on the air, maybe keep our server costs down. And if you really love the show, then you can go to iTunes, rate and review us five stars. That really does help other people find the show. And then if you have questions, comments, or other ideas about what we should do, Head on over to Twitter. You can tweet at us at SubliminalPod to send us your questions, comments, thoughts, other things you might think that we should have on this show, and then also our Facebook page as well. And we will talk to you next week. <laughs>